verses 5 through verse 11. And if you would, follow along with me, either in your bulletin or in your Bible or up here on the screen. God's word says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not, does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through whose, his spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in here would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we ask it and pray it in the name of Jesus Christ and in his name alone. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. You guys can be seated. I promise that's the last time that we'll make you stand up for a little while, at least for the next 20 minutes or so. Hey, and I'm realizing too, I don't think I actually ever introduced myself. I'm especially seeing some new faces I haven't met before. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Vespers Chico along with Pastor Brian Laws, who I think is here tonight somewhere, but he's on sabbatical. There he is. And he's usually always right up here, but that's his sabbatical seating, I suppose. So, And if you are new, I hope that you saw in the bulletin right here at the very top, we've got a little QR code, which is where our welcome card is now. We used to have the paper welcome cards, but they had a tendency to get lost a lot. So we went digital hoping that it would be a more surefire way uh, to get your information to myself or Brian so we can know who you are, how we can pray for you, and if we can answer any questions you might have about the church. So scan that code that's inside the bulletin if you want to fill out that welcome card and let us know that you are here. So with that being said, let's jump back into this text, Life in the Spirit. Guys, tonight is all about the Holy Spirit. God the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, even Kevin, I'm really thankful that he chose the opening song that he did this week where we sang, Holy Spirit, we want you in this place. We desire for you to be working, to show your power in ministry to us. Because tonight in this text, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that the ministry of the Spirit is vital to believers and it is vital to the application of the gospel in our lives. Now, the Holy Spirit sometimes is overlooked. In fact, there's a book that some of you guys might have read in the last, uh, man, it was probably published 10 years ago now, but Pastor Francis Chan wrote a book once called The Forgotten God, where he was speaking of the Holy Spirit and speaking of the tendency we have in American churches to practically ignore the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And not, not every church does that. I grew up in a church that talked about the Holy Spirit so much that you'd think he was the only member of the Trinity. But many churches, and dare I say, maybe even our church, sadly, we don't give much airtime 
to the Holy Spirit in our preaching, I'm looking at myself here, in our songs, in our prayers, in our interactions even with each other. And, and there's a, a bunch of reasons why that might be. One, it kind of correlates with what we talked about last week, and that is we have a very weak understanding of the Trinity as a church in general. And not just say in Vespers, but the American church at large. When people talk about their relationship with God, very rarely do they reflect on the fact that they are uh, in relationship with one God and three persons, blessed Trinity. So that could be a reason the Holy Spirit gets overlooked sometimes. Then there's also the fact that we've seen, many of us have seen a lot of excesses and abuse with people and churches that are so desirous of the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, they end up manufacturing things or lording over other believers that they think are lesser because they have more of the spirit than the lesser ones do. I've been in that context before as well, and it's not pretty. And then, of course, there's always this explanation, and that is sometimes we don't talk about the Holy Spirit because we're afraid of the unexpected. When the Holy Spirit shows up in power in the book of Acts, he, well, he flips things on his head. He shakes things up. And all of a sudden, the predictable becomes the unpredictable. The comfortable becomes the uncomfortable. And for me, as a person, I love what's predictable and in my control and orderly. So I can get a little bit afraid of the possibility that the Holy Spirit might come and shake things up. So you, you put all those things together and maybe it adds up to this, this reason that we have to be reticent to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But there's actually one other reason that I thought of this week that was the one that I chewed on the most. And it's this. The Holy Spirit calls us to be godly, righteous, holy, obedient. We don't like talking about that. See, to put it bluntly, when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, he changes us. He begins to transform us. He begins to mold our heart into something fresh and new and right, the way that God intended. And all of this is not just an option that you have in the Christian life. It's a necessity for being in him and him being in you. And so because of it, when the Holy Spirit is, is talked about in the scriptures or talked about in a sermon or in a discussion, words like obedience and striving and godliness might come up. And for one reason or another, that might make us uncomfortable. You know, the, the words like obedience, striving, godliness, I would imagine for some of y'all in here, uh, could produce something akin to some PTSD. And I speak for myself, and I know that some of you guys share this same experience, and it's because of ministries that we've been in in the past that had so much focus and emphasis upon godly living that we began to feel that our only worth as Christians was our performance and how well we were doing and striving towards godliness. So the college ministry I was a part of was wonderful in so many ways and has impacted me positively in so many ways. However, they had such a passion and desire for evangelism and discipleship 
that over time as a young Christian, I began to think that my only worth and value in God's sight was how many people I had shared the gospel with that week, how many hours I had spent reading my Bible, how many times I had prayed, how often I had resisted temptation and not given to besetting sins. And we were asked about this, we were quizzed on this, we were put under the microscope on this, so you began to think, that's all I am to God. It's just walking stats. Boy, I tell you what, guys, when I got a little bit older and began to see the depths of the gospel of grace that told me that God delighted in me, not based on my performance, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, it was life to me. I said it earlier this morning in paradise, it was like being a thirsty man in the desert, finally being given a drink. And that gospel of grace that was such life to me then, it's part of why I became a pastor, because I wanted to be able to preach to folks that maybe had been in that same situation of me, of feeling so beat down by the Christian life and say, it's not about your performance, it's about God's grace. That's what I want to be the hallmark of my career as a pastor. But what it means is that when I get to passages in the scripture that I have to preach that talk about striving and obedience and godliness, I start to twitch a little bit. I start to have that PTSD coming back from the past of like, oh no, I remember those words. Those words were the ones from college that made me feel so crushed and overwhelmed and burdened. I don't want anybody in the congregation to feel that. And I don't want to go back there myself. And so, to come back to the reason why sometimes maybe we don't talk about the Holy Spirit much. It's because to talk about him is to talk about holy living. And for manifold reasons, that might be hard for us. We bring a lot of baggage to the Bible in all sorts of different ways, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, those are some of the things that we bring and some of the things that might make us not want to speak about his ministry. But listen, we cannot afford not to. That was like a triple negative right there. Let's put it positively. We must speak about the Holy Spirit and his ministry to us because as I mentioned earlier, his ministry is vital in the application of the gospel of grace and mercy to our lives. And, and listen, if any of you guys have that little bit of PTSD like I was describing, the Holy Spirit's call to holiness in our life is not the legalistic thing that we remember. It's a grace-centered, mercy-driven, heart-transforming desire to see God's holiness at work in our lives. And I promise you that is far different and far better than that works-based grinder that we can get in in the church and in Christian ministry sometimes. And if we're willing not to just close our eyes and ears and say, no, 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 I'm not going back to that, we're willing to actually see what the Holy Spirit's ministry is in the scripture, we might realize, oh, there's a way to talk about obedience. There's a way to strive for godliness that isn't that dehumanizing workspace thing. But it's life. And it's richness. And it's hope. 
wow, I have spoken way too long without actually getting into the nuts and bolts of the text here. And it's already 4.56. Oh, my gosh. I am too loquacious, guys. Too long went Loquacious, Evan Peterson, where are you at? That's just for you, brother. I used a word earlier today, and Evan, as an English teacher, was so proud. <laughs> and so subconsciously, that must have been what I was doing right there. <laughs> so, guys, I have uh, a few different points for us tonight to see the Holy Spirit's work. And I was very proud. They're all starting with the letter I. Three I words for us, all right? Inhabit is the first one, invert is the second one, and inspire is the third one. The idea is the Holy Spirit inhabits our hearts, he inverts the trajectory of our lives, and he inspires us to the things of God. That's going to be our roadmap for the next few minutes that we have. So, got to go quick, I'm already running late, so let's jump right into this first one in verse 9. The Holy Spirit inhabits. Now, he says here, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Just to give you a quick context here, this is one of the coolest parts of the passage we read. I hope it came out in my reading out loud of it, because right before this he said, you know, if you're in the flesh, you cannot please God. The mind set on the flesh is the mind hostile to God. But then, at the paragraph break, he says, you, though, however, you, brothers and sisters, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. Amen. And even the if there is not so much a questioning, it's more of sort of like proof and evidence. So it's almost, it's probably better to read it since, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. This is an encouraging verse is what I'm trying to tell you guys. That Paul is ministering to our souls in writing this, that you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And the big thing that I want us to take away is the word dwell. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. This is a crazy thing to say, but I'm going to say it out loud. Here it goes. The Spirit of God resides in your heart. You're going to send me to the loony bin after saying that? That's crazy talk. But here it is again. The Spirit of God resides in you. I want y'all to wake up to that because we can do the Christianese talk about this all the time and like the the mind-blowing nature of this can be lost on us. The Spirit of God resides in you. That's crazy and beautiful and amazing. And the the word dwell here, I hope you know, there's a family of words in Greek that all use this common root. Oikos is the root. And all of them have to do with home or uh, some like the homestead. And so what this is saying here is not that the Spirit of God just stops by in your heart at some point or that he makes a transient visit or is a house guest for a night or two. No, he makes his home within your heart. He resides there. He's an inhabitant of your heart, to use the I word that I have there. He's, I set this up in paradise earlier today. He, he's made his mailing address your heart. That's how you know it's serious. He dwells within you. And if you're thinking that I'm making too much of it out, out just that one verse, it says it multiple times again in verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's repeated all throughout this. What you have in the Holy Spirit, someone who takes the spirit of God and makes their home within you. Now, that last verse that I just read there might have created a little bit of kind of a question for you because it speaks about the spirit of God and then another time the spirit of Christ and then another time the spirit of life. And then I've been talking about the Holy Spirit. So you could be saying, well, which one are we talking about? The spirit of the Father, the spirit of the Son, the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. Yes, that's the one we're talking about. This is uh, more evidence of this beautiful interplay of the Trinity that we have in Romans 8, where you see that cooperation of Father, Son, and Spirit so closely that Paul can sort of go in and out of language of talking about the Father of the Son, the Father, uh, excuse me, the Son, the Spirit of the Son, the Spirit of the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and be referring to the same person of the Trinity each time. It also means that if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, it is proper to say that Jesus, Christ, dwells in you as well. That's why he's uh, in here is talking about dwelling in me, Christ. Because there's that interplay between the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father. And the point is that he resides within your heart. That's what I was thinking this week is that how sad would it be if my past baggage made me too afraid to talk about these things because of what misunderstanding there might be. And I would miss out on telling you guys that the Spirit of God dwells within you. I don't want to rob you of that. I don't want to rob myself of that. That is a beautiful truth. And it means that that call to holiness on your life is one where you have all you need to live this life in a way that's honoring and pleasing to God because God himself dwells within your heart. You haven't been asked to make a fire with with no equipment. You've been given like kerosene and a lighter and a blowtorch, a flamethrower, all of it. You have because the spirit of God lives within you. All right, I probably take too long talking about that, especially since I'm tight on time. So let's go to the next one. The other I word was invert, which probably was the strangest one to hear when I kind of gave the roadmap. It's coming from verse 10. This is halfway through verse 10. It says this, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And what I want you to see in this verse is it's describing two different trajectories. One is the body that is on this downward trajectory towards death. And the other is your spirit that is now on an upward trajectory towards life. If we go back to Genesis chapter 3, the story of Adam, we know that when he disobeyed God, he subjected everything, all of creation, to the curse of death. Meaning that nature, the trees, the stars, the animals, and even us, we are all on this downward trajectory of Decay, disintegration, and death. That's where everything is heading. And in fact, I've got a quote, I think, up here. Brad, if you could go to the next slide. 
um, from Martin Lloyd-Jones. I, I came across this quote in my prep this week, and I thought that it was just a really profound way to say it. He says this, the moment we enter into this world, we begin to live and we also begin to die. Your first breath is one of the last you will ever take. Isn't that trippy? That when a, a baby enters the world and breathes their first breath, it's also proper to say it's one of the last they will ever take. Because of this trajectory, we all are on because of the curse of the fall. And if you don't believe it, well, you will when you get to be an old man like me, when your knee starts to hurt for no apparent reason, and your wonderful, you know, brown, black beard starts to get gray in it on the chin like mine is. One of these days, guys, I'm going to come in and after using my Just for Men gel, and it's going to be back, be like in my 20s again. Don't make fun of me, all right? But all that to say, we, we have the evidence all around us of the fact that our bodies are breaking down. And yet we come back to verse 10 that tells us even though our bodies are trending towards death because of sin, the spirit of life is making our inner man, our soul, our heart, our spirit trend towards life. It's going the other direction. And every time that my knee hurts randomly, I'm, gonna, I'm able to say, but inwardly the Holy Spirit is making it where my inner self is growing is maturing, is prospering, is bearing fruit, is becoming more youthful and exuberant as the days go by because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It reminds me of that movie, that Brad Pitt movie like 15 years ago, the, the Benjamin Button movie. Remember that one? If you have four hours to spare, you could watch it. It was a long one. The idea is that he comes into the world as an old man. Like when he's young, he looks old. But as he gets older, he gets more and more youthful and strong and vibrant. He trends the other way. And in a sense, we could use that word invert there too. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing internally to you. And you know, right now we have this duality of, of our body trending down while our spirit through the Holy Spirit's ministry is trending up. But there is a day coming when that won't be a distinction anymore. On the great day of resurrection, our inward reality of how our spirit is going up is going to transfer over to our bodies as well. And this body that's prone to breakdown is going to made, be made whole and restored and be made healthy, be made right and good. That's what we have to look forward to. But in the present, the here and now, we can know for sure that even though our physical mortal body is breaking down. Our spirit is growing and getting more vibrant and youthful. And, oh, I'm struggling for synonyms here. Bearing fruit. I could have probably just said this very simply by quoting from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where there's a beautiful verse that says, Do not lose heart, brothers and sisters. Even though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And the reason why he's able to say that is because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The final I that we're going to go to is the thing that ties it all together. The Spirit lives, he's made his home within us, 
he's also inverted the trajectory. So even though our bodies are trending downward, our spirit is trending up, how does this all come together? It's by his inspiration. He inspires us towards the things of God. It'll be a little bit clearer when we read these two verses. Let's do it. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So that life and peace at the end, that is the growth of our spirit. That's it's trending upwards. How does that happen? It happens by setting our minds on the things of the spirit. That inspiration is how the Holy Spirit makes it so that our inner person soars, even while our body pains. Now, it could be that you read that and be like, oh, setting our minds on the things of the spirit. That means that I just think about Christian things all the time. So all I think about is Bible verses. All I think about is uh, K-Love music. All I think about is Kirk Cameron movies. No, thank God, no. That is not what the Bible's saying. Rather, what the Bible is saying here is that whatever you think about, as random and unspiritual it might seem, you think about it in a Christian way. To quote one pastor I was listening to this week, he says, it means not just that you think about Christian things, but rather whatever you think of, you think about Christianly. So you could be thinking about hockey. You could be thinking about where you're going to go to eat tonight. You could be thinking about doing your taxes. You could be thinking about sex even. Yes, I said it. There is a way for us to think and talk about sex that's not lustful or pornographic. I chose that example purposely because I think we need to hear that in the church. Whatever you're thinking about, you're thinking about it in the framework of the God who made all things and made them good. And in the framework of the gospel of grace that causes you to celebrate in everything with an exuberance you can't have any other way. So here was my example that I used this morning up in paradise. On Thursday night, no, Friday, yeah, Friday, I ordered a pizza. I hadn't had lunch that day, and I was starving. And so I ordered from my favorite pizza place. I'm not going to tell you what it is because you'll judge me, but just know it's one of my faves. And I'm, like, so hungry. I'm, I'm watching the little tracker on the app get closer to my house. I, like, met the guy at the door. I was like, oh, hey. <laughs> so when I... When I finally took that bite of pizza for the first time, it was so good and so delicious, and it sated my hunger in the way that I truthfully needed, but it didn't stop there. No, this is good. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, gosh. Here's the next step for me, thinking this whole week about what does it mean to think about anything, but think about it in a Christian way. All of a sudden, my mind went to praising the God who made vine-ripened tomatoes. And Jesus. And the God who created us in such a way that we have taste buds in a stomach so that our nourishment isn't just this automatic thing, but it's something we can enjoy and relish. How good of God to do that. 
There's this weird sense in which you as a Christian are able to enjoy things more fully than anybody else in the world. Because it's not just about the, the um, kind of the animal instinct of, oh, this is tastes good. But rather, that enjoyment can then take your thoughts and your mind and your spirit to beholding the God that made it all. And beholding this gospel that allows us to live in the joy and delight of life. You realize when you go see a movie, you go see a comedy with your group of friends, you are in a position to laugh harder than anybody else. Because you're able to see it through the lens of this beautiful yet wacky and crazy world that God has made. You'll be able to appreciate it through the lens of this gospel, which is so amazing and unbelievable that sometimes the only response you have is to laugh out loud. You might be in a position to enjoy and relish friendship more so than anybody else in the world because as you're talking to a friend, as you're pouring your heart out to a friend, as you're laughing with a friend, you're able to see them as a person made in the image of God. A person that you delight in because they are distinctly different. But at the same time, you're also unified in Christ with them. This is what I'm suggesting to you is the way in which we think spiritually about all things in life. That we don't just stop in that sort of instinct enjoyment or non-enjoyment of anything. But rather we let our mind and our heart go to the ultimate truth. The truth of who God is and who we are in him. What I'm proposing to you is that is a big part of what it means to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And when we do that, when we're willing to think about anything and everything in that spiritual way, then all of a sudden, even the things that sometimes we think of as the difficult things, reading our Bible more, sharing our faith with a neighbor that we really don't like, Uh, saying no to that same sin that we keep tripping up in over and over again. Those difficult things, they start to be influenced too because we have given ourselves over to thinking about everything in a spiritual way. That's how the Holy Spirit operates in calling us to holiness and godliness is not to, to, to be the taskmaster from the outside, cracking the whip and say, do this. Rather, he is transforming us from the inside, transforming our thinking on things as menial as pizza so that we begin to grow into people that think spiritually about all things. When the Holy Spirit makes his home, within me, well, he renovates a little bit. He puts some new paint up on the wall. He puts in that beautiful hardwood flooring. He creates a nice open concept. He watches a lot of HGTV, basically. And as he's renovating and refurbishing the home of my heart, it's beginning to change me from the inside out. And it's beginning to change me in the way that it's not the external law saying you must do this and you must do that. But rather, it's the law being written on the inside of my heart so that I'm beginning to yearn and long for and want the things of God. That's what's happening when we set our minds on the things of the Spirit.
there's so much more to say about this, so much more nuance to get into and to dive into. But my, my main burdens today were this. Well, it was the I words. The Holy Spirit who inhabits your heart as home, who inverts the trajectory of your life, who inspires you to the things of God. But also, if you are like me, coming to a text like this with baggage of like, oh, I don't want to go back to legalism, don't be afraid. The Holy Spirit isn't taking you back to legalism. He isn't taking you back to that performance-driven Christianity. No, he's taking you to heart transformation. He's taking you to life. That's too good not to talk about. That was a better use of the negative. Let me pray for us, and we'll invite the music team back up to finish this out. Father God, we want to be people that are open-eyed and aware of the ministry of your spirit. Forgive us for the ways in which we've ignored his ministry, and I pray that you would make us desirous uh, of him being more active in our lives and hearts and spirits. Lord, please, we pray it in the name of Jesus. To you, O oh Father, through the power of that same Holy Spirit we've been speaking about today.